and talk. All right, welcome to Grow Up and Talk. This is Alex LaHue, and I'm a pastor at Messiah Lutheran Church. We believe that eternities are changed when Jesus' followers grow up in their faith. And one of the best ways that we can do this is by reading God's Word and talking about it. Not just reading it, not just reading it on our own even, but engaging in community while we're interacting with God's Word and interacting with God's Word by maybe studying a little bit and then coming together and talking about it and admitting when we don't know the answers to certain questions. And this is all a part of our journey towards spiritual maturity. And the way that we're doing this is uh, by going through a three-year Bible reading plan that works through the Bible chronologically. And that's what we're doing with our Messiah family to grow up and talk about God's Word. So, Today on the show, we have with us Fred Hawkins. Fred, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, Pastor Alex. Uh, good to be here. Um, yeah, my name is Fred Hawkins. Uh, I live in uh, Bernie, Texas. I've been going to uh, Messiah for about uh, 12 years now. Um, grew up in uh, in Austin and uh, been around, have uh, a wife and four children, um, Emily, uh works at the church as a media director and Elijah plays a lot of music there. Um, so, uh, and just, um, you know, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't, uh, well, I grew up Catholic, um, but, um, mm-hmm. I never really, uh, I wouldn't, I didn't become a Christian, I would say until I was about 33. So this is all still new to me, but, um, uh, my life's never been the same since then. So anyway, that's a little about me. Well, in that case, you must be pretty young. <laughs> If it, it, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have done that. But uh, I, yeah, no, that that's awesome. <laughs> yes, yes, everyone. Fred is young; he's 44. Um, so, um, <laughs> but that's awesome. That's good to hear, and uh, it it I'm excited for what we have to talk about today uh, because sometimes we we get these episodes where we're we're ending one book and we're beginning another, but. Hey, we get to just be in the middle of the book of Judges today. We're going to cover the readings from June 27th to July 3rd in our Bible reading plan. Uh, This covers Judges chapter 4 through Judges chapter 12. So let's do a quick overview of what's going on here in these chapters. So Fred, you want to start us off with a summary and I'll fill in uh, anything that we think we need to cover. Sure. Um, Sounds good. Yeah. And I read this many years ago and I just read it again here a couple of days ago, but um, this is, I think, a continuation with Judges from Judges 1-3, and there's kind of this cycle of uh, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord by worshiping other gods. They'd strayed from worshiping Yahweh to stray to uh, worshiping uh, Baal, uh, who was the god of people who inhabited the area. And so as a result of that, God cannot forgets them or sells them, doesn't forget them, but he sells them into the hand of, of a foreign king uh, who then turns out to oppress them. Uh, and then the Israelites cry out for the Lord to deliver them from this, this oppression. God eventually raises up a leader to deliver them deliver them from the, this oppression. And this is kind of a military leader, not like an official king, but kind of a military leader, yeah. somebody who just kind of rises up and, and then goes to, to, to war for Israel to deliver them from the hand of their, their oppressor. And so this, this, um, you know, this, this part of the Bible talks about the prophetess Deborah and, uh, Barak, um, and the 
struggle with the Canaanites, and that's where you get into uh, in that struggle. There's uh, I guess the, the Canaanite military leader is Sesera, and there's the the the, the horrid uh, well the the the, um, the killing of of him with uh, by the, the wife of Jael who tried to stake through his temple. You have other other uh, another judge is Gideon. Um, and his struggle with the Midianites. And, you know, we have the fleece story there. And then we, we get into uh, Abimelech, who basically was um, a, uh, he was a, the the son of, uh, I can't remember his father's name, but Joash? No, no. Well, I thought it was, uh, actually, I think Abimelech is Gideon's son. Because, oh right, right, right. Yeah, been like as Gideon. Because son. Gideon had like two names, and um, Gideon's second name was Jerubal, Jerubal, or something like that. Right, um, right, right. He was that, that. However, you pronounce it. Right, right. Um, right. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, okay. but then, yeah, but then Abimelech, Abimelech uh, is is not one of Gideon's. Um, I guess. He's a, he's a he's a son of of Gideon and a concubine, but then Abimelech yeah. Abimelech ends up saying, you know, what, I guess he he's living in a different town. I guess they kicked him out. They kicked him out of his his hometown, so he starts to think. Well, I think no, I think that uh, Jephthah that got kicked out, but Abimelech. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, I think it all flows together. That's for sure. Um, so, <laughs> uh, it looks like in chapter nine, no problem. Um, yeah. All this, it just starts the story with, um, Abimelech, uh, son of, now Abimelech, good, goodness gracious. Um, we might have to edit this. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> You started talking about yeah. I went off track when I uh, said Abimelech. Abimelech was uh, kicked out of his house because he he was not. He just went to Abimelech wasn't yeah. Abimelech was not kicked out of his house. Okay, yeah. So so then along came Abimelech, and uh, for some reason he just you know, well maybe he had a chip on his shoulder because he was the son of a concubine, but he he um, you know he he went to his mother's plan and said hey and they this is in shechem i guess i'm saying that right you know why i love that you said he had a a chip on his shoulder because he was the son of i don't know i don't know i don't know what's the son of a concubine (laughs) (laughs) it turned out good are we going to keep that in i don't know (laughs) yeah jephthah had the same kind of but he he didn't have he didn't have a Yeah, yeah but he didn't have this power power kick but Evidently, so then, yeah. so then Jephthah, or no, I'm sorry. Abimelech <laughs> goes to his mother's clan and out in Shechem and says, "Why do you want to have these seventy sons rule over you? Why don't you just, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be. Why don't you make me ruler?" And so they're thinking, "Okay, that kind of mm-hmm. makes sense. We know this guy; he's in our family. 
Um, so, so he teamed up with some of, some of them and they end up somehow getting, uh, uh, all the, all of his brothers in a house somewhere. Yeah. And then they killed okay. 70 of them, 70, you know, he must've had some help, but, um, yeah, he like hired up yeah. some of the, the people from his mother's family, right. uh, hired them for money. Right. Because uh, it 70 says, pieces of silver. you know, yeah, that kind of thing. He, he said worthless, it says worthless and reckless followers who followed him. Right. Uh, so they were just reckless and, you know, I guess we would say trigger happy and in those days sword happy. I yeah, guess. and they, went, they um, actually went to his father's house at Ofra. And killed okay. his brothers. Yeah, seventy men on right. one stone. Now, Jotham was uh, left over. He was the youngest son, so he survived. Right. And and I think we we, we encounter a lot of rounding in with numbers yeah. in this uh, in the book of Judges. You know, a lot of times you'll notice that that numbers are are very neat and orderly, and that's just a way of depicting the narrative and and what happened. Mm-hmm. So, like, what are you gonna say? 69 sons yeah. it's just easier to say 70 and there was one left over right and so the yeah jotham is the youngest one and then he utters this this parable which is actually the first parable ever recorded in the bible mm, um, cool. about how things aren't going to work out for the mom's side in shechem right and they're not going to work out for abimelech and isn't it him that gets the stone tossed on his head yes and yeah. uh, i think he he asked his servant to kill him so that no one will find out that a girl killed him. right right yep so yep the the uh yep. gotham's kind of uh parable kind of de- you know definitely comes true there in the yeah. end um sure so all right and so then we get to jephthah tell us about that jephthah then he he, um, I guess the I'm trying to remember when he comes to, uh, he, he was the son of a, he was, a, he was the uh, son of another, another concubine. concubine. This is in Gilead, <laughs> but he yeah. was, he was a, a mighty warrior. Um, so he was the son of a prostitute and his father, um, je- Gilead, Gilead. They kicked him out. Yeah, so he kicked him out. So okay. he, he's living somewhere else because they kicked him out. And then the Ammonites come to make war against Israel. And the Israelites say, for some reason, they go to Jephthah. Uh, Jephthah. <laughs> I, I guess they just knew he was he was a bad dude and they needed him. And he, at first he says, why are you coming to me? You kick me out. And um, they say, well, you know, if, if you if you come fight for us. Then we'll uh, we'll make you ruler or something like that. Um, <laughs> I don't know what they said. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Okay. Um, because Israel come. Okay, so Israel. Okay, and so th- so then he goes down. And he's talking to Ammonites, and he's having this discussion about the Ammonites saying, you know, the Ammonites are saying, well, you came and you took our land, and and I don't remember all the background about what happened when the. When Moses brought them right. through this area, well, maybe, maybe Jephthah basically says, "No, what you're saying isn't true yeah. because the land that you're, in other words, he's saying the land that you're currently on, rightfully belonged to Moab, right? 
and and the Moabites, not you, the Ammonites. Uh, because and then he tells the whole like history of uh, Israel, which shows he's he's very well educated yeah. in the history of Israel, right. which shows that they were very good at passing these uh, these stories and these accounts down mm-hmm. uh, through um, just just telling their their kids uh, verbally, um, because people weren't going around looking for the the stones and all that that uh, Moses and Joshua wrote on um and the, those were not easily copied or easily accessible so it just shows that his family clearly knew their history and passed that down to him yeah. and so he recites that as kind of the argument for well actually these lands don't be- really rightfully belong to you so your claim over us right now is actually not not uh Right. So you're in the wrong here. So if you fight us, then we're going to fight you. Yeah. So, yeah. I thought that was pretty um, impressive that he knew that whole history. Yeah. Um, uh, he makes the tragic vow. Yeah. So what happens there? Yeah. The tragic vow is where um, he's, he, I guess he's talking to the Lord. Um, and he says, you know, mm-hmm. if, if, if you will deliver the Ammonites over to me, when I get home in peace, the first thing that comes out of my door I will offer up to you as, yeah. as a burnt offering, uh, or you know, offer it up to the Lord. Yeah. I'm not sure if he says burnt offering, but yeah, no, he does. Right. Burnt off- that was one thing I got. Oh, he does. Yes, it's burnt offering. Oh. I will offer it up for a burnt at? offering. Um, that's in um, 31. It looks like. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah, I see it. Interesting. All right. I skipped over that at first, but my notes were talking about burnt offerings, and I was saying, where did that come from? Uh, but yes, it does. All right, so that happens, and uh, and then it looks like Jephthah or Ephraim again for the second time. Ephraim had some beef with Gideon too, yes. and Ephraim comes over and has a beef with Jephthah, which I don't know why they're messing with Jephthah because everybody knew that Jephthah was the bad dude. Yeah, and uh, and uh, I, how does that happen? Oh yeah, they just. <laughs> totally demolished the uh, Ephraimites. It said 42,000 of them fell. Right. So, and, okay. Yeah, crazy stuff. <laughs> All <laughs> right, so that's our summary there. Yeah. And there is a few, like, um, at the end of Chapter 12, there's a few what uh, what's known as minor judges, right. uh, just judges and leaders that uh, ju- don't have a lot of... Uh, you know, history recorded about them or uh, significance to them because they're just not talked yeah. about that much. And I think there's a few minor ones um, at the end of... Chapter 12. Ooh. Ibzan, Elon, and Abdon. Well, at the end of chapter 12, there's some that happened maybe in the beginning of chapter 4. Yeah. Kind of at the beginning of Yeah, that. there were a few mentioned. Well, uh, well, there's, there's Shamgars okay. in chapter 3. Um, yeah, Shamgar chapter three. I, f- I feel like there was maybe um, oh um, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I thought maybe it, it maybe it, oh there's, yeah, it was between Gideon and Jephthah. Yeah, there's Toa there chap- two chap- name chapter ten. Toa and Jer. Yeah. Okay. So, anyways, we got all these different leaders and judges, and as uh, Fred had already said, they're more like military leaders um, that led people into uh, uh, that that were uh, leaders and delivering the Israelites from 
oppressive nations, uh, nations that were oppressing them either by like uh, just just I guess conquering them or just forcing them into a certain area of land or uh, just harassing them by occasionally doing raids on them or killing them. I, I don't really know, but they were oppressing the Israelites in some way. And that's the cycle that uh, you were talking about, Fred, is it just kind of goes in that pattern. The Israelites give into idolatry and then they're basically uh, in, you know, I- induced into like oppression and slavery from other nations. And then mm-hmm. they repent and they cry out to God and God delivers them by raising up for them these leaders right. uh, called judges, which aren't like court judges or even kings, but more like military and political leaders. So that's what we have, and we're right in the thick of it in Judges, and uh, our main judges for these chapters are Deborah, um, Gideon, Abimelech, sure, and then Jephthah. Mm-hmm. So is there anything in particular that stood out to you uh, that you want to talk about today? Well, you know, one thing that, that, that I was going through the story of Gideon that kind of uh, stood out to me was how, um, you know, that, that God came to Gideon and, and Gideon declares when the angel of the Lord comes to him and, you know, mm-hmm. says, behold, uh, you know, or Gideon says, behold, my clan is the weakest in town and I'm the least in my father's house. And that kind yeah. of stood out to me that, it, you know, God came to, to somebody who at least seemed to say, <laughs> to think that, he was, he was not the guy, you know, for this job. You know, I can, I can see myself if, if God came to me saying, and the, and the, and the angel says, the Lord is with you. Oh, mighty man of valor. You know, I can see like yeah. somebody coming to, you know, Gideon, like turn around, like seeing who was he talking to, you know, because it's surely not me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there's like, isn't there some hymn or song that talked about mighty men of valor? Maybe I don't it know. sounds familiar, but uh, yeah, I can't. I can't put yeah, my. I'm name gonna on. Google that while you keep talking okay. about what yeah. stood out to you. Um. So, but but yeah. So even though you know, it seems like Gideon's having this. Uh, you know, there's this theophany maybe of this is the pre-incarnate Christ coming to Gideon, mm-hmm. saying, you yeah. know, you're you're, you know, you need to. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna deliver my people from the um, Midianites that, and then again, even after that, you know, in, um, and it talks about how Gideon is clothed by the spirit of the Lord, that even after that, then he mm-hmm. asked for a sign with the, uh, with the fleece, um, with the right. fleece of wool. So it was just kind of, um, I thought it was interesting to me, you know, and I guess it was, it's, it's, it's real, it's reality to me that, um, you know, even though, you know, you may see, and you may think you're going a particular direction that God wants you to go, that, um, people still have reservations. So that was one thing that, yeah. Yeah. And well, that was something that stood out to me about Gideon is that he questioned God like all the time. He, he he did it after the angel of the Lord appeared to him and like 
burnt up his food or something. <laughs> right. I can't remember all the details about that part. Right. But, you know, there's the story of the fleece, and he's like, oh, no, it's not good enough that you gave me the exact sign that I was looking for on the first morning. I got to go for a second one. What's behind door number two? And uh, so, he, you know, he asked for another sign, and then I think he, even at the end, uh, he's wanting uh, verification. Uh, I, I think... Uh, I don't know. It, I, I feel like there was another time mm-hmm. where he, he just asked the Lord uh, for for just verification, like, okay, are, are, you, uh, are you with me here? And actually, Barak or Barak or however you pronounce it in chapter 4, um, who was like um, this other military leader that worked alongside the prophetess Deborah, right. he, had... he was very unsure as well. Yeah. But actually, I read in a note in my study Bible— Fun fact, study Bibles are very helpful mm-hmm. for uh, learning things uh, pretty quickly, if you're, uh, especially if you're reading on your own and just want some quick notes. Um, but it says that in Hebrew chapter 11, he appears in the list of the heroes of faith. So oh, yeah. it just kind of goes to show that, you know, God is, God is working. And we were joking earlier about the sons of, of concubines. Uh, with the Abimelech, well, I guess Abimelech was the bad example. So Jephthah was the good example. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who? <laughs> so forget about Abimelech. <laughs> Let's focus on Jephthah. But I mean, you know, you think about Rahab mm-hmm. in the beginning of Joshua, right. and then you also uh, look at like Barak or or Barak, and mm-hmm. even in his uncertainty, eventually he does follow, but he has to get some reassurance. And Gideon is the same way, and uh, Jephthah being the son of a concubine, he's just coming from this, uh, what was considered in those days, just a dishonorable uh, history and background. Mm -hmm. And even in the book of Judges, it it just, I mean, with all the victories there are, there's a lot of unfaithfulness on Israel's part, and a lot of uh, just embarrassing stories for them, and yet God includes all of it in the history books. Yeah. Uh, for us to know, because his his faithfulness continues, even in the midst of you know us questioning him or or wondering about where he where he's wanting us to go. And the story of Gideon is is really powerful, um, especially when God dwindles his army down. Yeah, yeah, to three hundred. Yeah, right. So uh, what else do you got? What what else? Uh, um, was there anything that concerned you or confused you or anything else that was uh, you found really interesting as you were reading? Well, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's kind of, uh, I mean, it, there's a lot of violence in this part of the, uh, in this part of the Bible. Right. It's kind of, um, um, kind of challenging to, to see, the sure. the infighting within the Israelites themselves and and um, uh, you know with Ephraim versus Jephthah and um, mm-hmm. and, um, and and Abimelech and you know it's just I mean God didn't pull any punches and and you know having this having no, this having this all put down and it. <laughs> And I mean, it's 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 very relevant, you know. If you look around, what's going on today? I mean, it's very re- relevant in yeah. our country and the world. And uh, you know, it's just it's just more of the same almost. Um, so, 
So that was just something that came to yeah. my mind. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you say it, it's, it's almost the same um, because I think that it is. And we don't, you know, when we interact with these these uh, historical accounts and these records and we see uh, people fighting and like Ephraim always picking a fight because we always we know someone in our lives who, who's always seems to be wanting to stir up trouble or, yeah. or trying to pick a fight. You, you kind of know you've encountered people like that in your life before. Um, yeah. We all have. And um it is interesting that you say that because I think um, you know, something that I was thinking about when I was reading these chapters uh, in the book of Judges, it, 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 I think we can get really caught up in like, you know, they're, they're really awesome stories. It's amazing how God works. It's, a, it, it's interesting. It's, it's uh, like as good as any TV show, you know, when you have yeah. all the, the conflict and, and things going on, it's very interesting. But at the same time, we can kind of get caught up in like, oh, there's all this violence or, oh, the, you know, we, we might even like even with Gideon, he got so caught up in the numbers and the victories and the assurances. Mm -hmm. And yet it's what God cares about is people's hearts mm -hmm. as he wants people's hearts and and minds to be worshiping him and him alone right and you're right he doesn't pull any punches uh but we see it, it we we still have the same problem with sin that we do today there's still uh, you know a, a major amount of violence in our world today and not just in the world but in our own communities in our own country um and so it, it's not like god telling us we're not in an age of like conquering and conquest necessarily but i do think that you know in the words of jesus you know he, he says you have heard that it is said you shall not kill or you shall not murder but i say to you anyone who hates his brother in his heart is guilty of murder and uh, in that now here that there is some murder that goes on in Judges, but there is a difference between, you know, Abimelech, Abimelech trying to murder his family and God delivering his people by, you know, uh, allowing them to overcome the, the, the wickedness of the Canaanites around them. So that's a particular way of, of God uh, dealing with um, and, and enacting his justice in that historical context mm -hmm. uh, but you know all this infighting that you talk about it isn't what God designed yeah. for them for the tribe to, to fight within themselves for family to turn against family for first of all Gideon as great as he seems to be still had 70 sons by many wives yeah. and it, it just shows that, that there were natural consequences that happened because of that Yeah, his son Abimelech for example. And so, you know, we're, we might look at these stories and say, oh, wow, it was so harsh back then, or oh, wow, it was, it was so uh, severe. And I think that, I think that's where the, the, the devil and the, the, the spiritual forces of evil, they, they want us to think that, oh, the sin and the, the uh, conflicts, it was so much more severe and harsh back then, when really God wants us to look at sin any kind of sin and and hate that sin it says uh, in romans 12 abhor what is evil mm -hmm. cling to what is good yeah. um so i think that's definitely a theme uh in these 
I guess, conquest accounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see that in Joshua and, and now in Judges. Mm-hmm. They're having to be delivered all the time because God is, there are natural consequences and consequences that God promised for them if they gave into idolatry and intermingling, which they did. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what else is, is, is confusing or challenging for you in, in these chapters? Well, um, one, one thing that was, what was, uh, challenging was, uh, Jephthah's tragic vow, you know, where yeah. that was, that was, that was <laughs> that pretty was hard terrible. for me to, you know, he, he gets home from this, um, from his conquest or his victory and, uh, his daughter comes out with tambourines from the, from the, the house and he, he's, he's devastated because he's made this vow to the Lord to sacrifice whatever the first thing out of his house as a burnt offering. And, um, so then she, you know, she says, I guess she explains to her what, what is, why he's down. And she says, well, let me go for, for two months with my friends up to the hills and we'll, we'll mourn basically. And then I can come back and you yeah. can do whatever, you know, whatever is required. Um, and so, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and, and so that happens. And so um, I'm just thinking of, you know, of, of myself, you know, how, how would I, <laughs> if I, if I made that vow, how would I deal with it? You know, um, yeah. maybe it's a different time today, but, uh, uh, I, I just, I can't see taking the life of one of my children, you know, even if I made a, right. a promise to the Lord about it, I would, you know, I would, I would say, take my life, Lord, you know? <laughs> yes. Um, well, and you know, and I, I like that you, you kind of, related you kind of put yourself in Jephthah's shoes for a moment I think that's important for us to do uh, when we're reading you know the Bible especially these stories about real people who, who yeah. really lived and uh, as they always told us in the seminary theology does not happen in a vacuum right. um, you know there's a there and the the famous question that they would always you know tell us to ask people when people asked us questions, was why do you want to know? Because somebody who asked you one question, you know, you could have two people asking you the same question, but there could be very different reasons and very different context for why they're asking that question. And, right. and here, uh, the the situation and and the theme of keeping one's word and keeping a vow to the Lord is happening in a very specific, is playing out in a very real and specific way in Jephthah's life. Yeah. Uh, I think the lesson of the day is don't make a vow to the Lord that you can't keep. Right. Um, yeah. And in the earlier the books that come before Judges, God is very. Uh, he gives some pretty clear instructions about making vows and says and warns people, if you're going to make a vow, you have to hold yourself to it. Right. And if you break that vow, there are gonna, going to be severe consequences for that. And so I don't know if Jephthah could really break his vow. He, he might have been able to say, Lord, take me. Yeah. But I, I do see a note about, I, and I, I remember reading about this in Leviticus, uh, are you going where I'm going? Yeah, I think I think I, th- I, th- uh, I, th- I think yeah, there was something about that. Yeah, if you if you break a vow, then then you know then, then it's you, you know it's your life basically. If you break a vow to the Lord, but but, but I mean, right? I can't remember. Yeah, I haven't read that. I read that a while ago, but I can't remember if it was. A, yeah, 
it was um that was a consequence um you know for a man right. I mean, there was you know there's lots of details about vows made by your you know um maybe your your daughters and your your wife or right right but um yeah and so um it 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 does give a note about um how if you um how how your your offering could be spared by the lord or you could redeem um your the, your uh your children and they could be spared if you uh devoted them to a lifetime of service mm-hmm. to the tabernacle right and i don't know i don't know if the scholars even know if that really applies here. It's not. It's not very clear what happens. Yeah. Um, it's not even clear why she's exactly weeping over her virginity. Um, maybe because she realizes that she'll she'll never. She had never known a man, and and maybe she she never will. Right. Yeah. Um, because she's either going to be a burnt offering or devoted to to service. Uh, uh, to the tabernacle mm, okay. uh, to the Lord okay. or whatever. Um, so I, I remember there being a thing about like mm-hmm. being able to redeem your, I think it was like there was a section in maybe Leviticus. It was a while back where God said, all of your firstborn children are going to be devoted right. uh, to a service to the Lord or something like that, and mm-hmm. and you could redeem them somehow by by paying a fee or, or something like that, and right. or or actually, it might even have been the Lord saying like their life belongs to me, and so you need to redeem them by paying a fee and sacrificing an animal in their place, and then they can be devoted to service at the tabernacle. But I'm not entirely sure in all the details there. Um, but it is a little bit troubling that God would, I mean, I guess, allow Jephthah to make such a vow. And at the same time, he's responsible 100, 100% for that vow. And God gave very clear instruction. This guy knows his history. <laughs> he he knows the laws of the people. And so yeah. we can maybe look at this right away and say, like, oh, man, you know, why would God allow such a thing? It's like this man knew his history about the people of Israel. I think he knew the laws, too. I think he knew the rules. And um, I don't know what he was hoping would come out the door. Maybe they had a dog or a pet goat or something. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. Bro, don't make the vow. Don't make the vow, man. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's really the moral of the, the story there. But it is very tragic uh, for that reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm so, reading. I'm reading that. Uh, I'm reading that. Uh, that uh, footnote about that too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think that was the main thing that was concerning for me because God is is. The, the Canaanites were very famous for child sacrifice. Right. Uh, there was actually a, uh, a Canaanite god named Moloch right. that was known for, I don't know how people make this stuff up, but uh, yeah. Moloch in, wanted uh, child sacrifices, and God clearly uh, did not want that. And yet we also see these stories about like him telling him this, sacrifice Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and then um, whatever is going on with the details of the firstborn children of the Israelites being either devoted to 
offering and then they have a chance to redeem them by giving them in service to the tabernacle mm-hmm. or God saying your firstborn children aren't going to live with you anymore. They're going to serve the tabernacle. Um, so right. still it's, it's quite a sacrifice um, uh, to, to uh, quite a thing to give up. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else that, um, that you want to talk about before we, uh, get into things that are a little bit more hopeful? (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, let me see. Uh, I think. Here's a quick note. It says Jephthah wrongfully assumes that a human life is less important than keeping his vow. Hmm. Mm. Jephthah's vow was is foolish and unnecessary and shows his failure to trust God. So that is a theme that we saw uh, here. Jephthah incorrectly believed that Yahweh needs to be coaxed or bartered with to deliver the people of Gilead. All this points to Jephthah treating Yahweh like a foreign god. Mm-hmm. Um and so he he's kind of saying like, yeah, but I mean, it it just oh man, it it does crush your heart because it's like, um, here it says verses thirty seven to forty leaves the impression that Jephthah's daughter may have died as a human sacrifice, a capital crime according to Mosaic law. So that's important to note, capital crime according to Mosaic law. Uh, so I think I'm definitely wrong a little bit about what we were talking about uh, with the uh, firstborn children. I think I got some details mixed up, but the firstborn children in Leviticus were at some point devoted to a lifetime of service in the tabernacle, and maybe they could be bought out of that service. I'm not entirely sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she is also said to be weeping over her virginity. So we we, we kind of talked about that. So there's a few things that we can't answer, but it, it, it... I like this note and that it talks about how Jephthah is, is, this is really a failure on Jephthah's part to trust God because he did not need to make this vow. And it's also kind of goes along the lines with like, um, Barak wanting verification, extra verification, Gideon wanting all these signs and, and, uh, Jephthah making this, this vow, which is, I think the tragedy of Jephthah's vow isn't just that it involved his daughter and that his his sinful action affected the life of his family, but also that he, in the the section of history that he recited as an argument uh, uh, against the Ammonites, you know, he's being a faithful follower of God keeping the laws and keeping the the history in his heart and mind. He's loving the Lord, his God, with all his heart, mind, and all of his strength. And then he goes off and, and, and just seems to forget about all the faithfulness and power of God by treating God like some sort of like trading vendor or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, yeah. So that, that's a, a tragedy as well. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that. I mean, that's a good point. He, he. Um, you know, wh- why did he? Why did he feel a need to to make a vow in the first place? To, right. w- what did the Lord need from him? Um, right. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. 
interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard. But I think, you know, and that's the thing. It's, that, that's why I think it, it, it's good that we talk about these things. We talk about yeah. the, uh, that's what we do on the podcast is yeah. we, we, we don't want to work around the, uh, the hard stuff. We, we actually want to address it and converse with it. And it's okay if we don't have the answers right away yeah. and we just have to talk through some things. Right. Because when we do that, when whenever we struggle with Scripture, I think the question for us to ask is, okay, why why do I have a issue with this? Why mm-hmm. am I struggling with this? And right. is what needs to be transformed in me? What needs to be changed in me? What's the lens that I need to see this? Uh, what what lens do I need to be looking through to see this in the way that God sees it? Right. And um, one of the best argu- one of the best lines that I've I've heard about why um, we should study the Bible is to better understand reality mm-hmm. because we look at these stories sometimes we say oh that's so far removed from what's real because we we see God working and God speaking uh, in very direct and very just obvious and miraculous ways and we say oh that that doesn't happen today um, and that can cause us to maybe maybe think that the the Bible is, is is very far removed from reality but actually the Bible is telling us what reality um, I guess really is what is reality mm-hmm. and um, what is actually going on in our world around us despite what we may see on the surface mm-hmm. So yeah, that's good. I don't, I don't think I've heard that before. Reality. Um, yeah, I got on my soapbox for a second. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> All right. Um, anything that uh, gives you great hope um, as you're reading this? Let's talk about something happy for a moment. <laughs> sure. Um, I think, um, you know, as, as I was reading through it, you know, and there's all these accounts, of um, you know, as we've talked now about these people who, who um, God used to deliver the Israelites, um, even though they had reservations and and and, and were fa- you know had, had failures, that you know and and the the Israelites would would continue to to fall into apostasy basically or mixing their religion with something yeah. else. That he would they when they caught, cried out to him, eventually. He would he would deliver them from that. I mean, that's kind of what I got was from it was that you know he's 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 always a god of, of second chances. It seems like, and so that that yeah. gives me hope for you know for myself and for for others. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, and 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 it, and it as far as all the the trouble you know that's portrayed in in the, these chapters, it reminded me of John sixteen. 33, you know, in, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world, Jesus said. So, right. um, so for me, that's, that's where the, the, it's, it points to, to Jesus as, as my hope and, and, and our hope. So. All right. What give me hope is, uh, kind of going off of what you said, Fred, um, that God is always a God of deliverance. And uh, I like to see how he uses different people, a variety of, of individuals, um, a, a woman like Deborah as a prophetess uh, to sing, to, to speak God's word to the people 
um, e- e- like leaders like uh, Barack and also uh, speak God's word through song and leading people in those praises and song and giving private counsel to, p- to people and just caring for God's people in that way. And then also you got the bad dudes like Jephthah who get kicked out. He's the outcast and God uses him. Um, God uses Jotham who suffers this terrible family uh, or who survives this terrible family massacre um, from Abimelech and yet he he delivers him and uh, uses him to uh, speak the first parable in the Bible and, and speak a prophecy that comes true uh, for Gideon uh, who who's a significant doubter and um, and actually it it, it, it kind of when you read about these people and, and their doubts, um, but also the diversity of who they were and and even their personalities and how they uh, led. Um, it just goes to show that God loves to use people and that he's going to work his good and his will in and through them to transform them, but also lead his people in the way that they uh, should go, in the way that's beneficial for them. Um and so I, I think that it, it, it's actually when we when we think about how um, broken and imperfect um, and how unique and, and, and different these uh, people were, God used them despite some of their circumstances or their doubts or their situations or their uh, sins um, or even the the tragic vows that they make they, they made like Jephthah. Um, and God still worked through him and, and in his life, um, e- even though uh, he kind of he didn't treat God with with much honor. He kind of treated God like he was just any ordinary God, similar to the, the false gods of, of the Canaanites. Uh, but yet God still had worked his, his good through him. And I think there's another thing that... Um, um, Gideon says, I'm not quite sure where it's at, but he says where, oh yeah, here it is. It's, it's in chapter six, verse, um, 13. And Gideon said to him, God, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why, um, or this is to the angel of the Lord, which as you said, Fred, uh, many believe to be the pre-incarnate Christ, uh, which I believe to, to be true. Uh, why then has all this happened to us? So all this suffering, all this oppression, and where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Um, and so he, he's saying, where are the wonderful deeds, the wonderful deeds of old? Like where, where are all these things that, um, that we heard about that happened? Um, and, and so I think we can, I can relate to Gideon and that we want to see like, you know, where, where are the wonders? Where's the deliverance God? And sometimes we can uh, be tempted to uh, think about that. But even at the beginning, you were talking about how, you know, with Gideon, he thought that God was working in his life one way. And then God even broke him down a little bit more uh, than he thought and kind of took him a whole new direction. 
Um, and so that just goes to show that um, there's a uh, that the God works through a lot of different people. He can work through anyone, and these people struggled with the same things that we struggle with uh, today. So yeah. that is the thing that kind of really stands out to me, especially in the story of Gideon and him kind of wondering, man, where's the deliverance? Right. Um, and, and maybe that's part of what drove Jephthah to try to take a vow like that because he's trying to conjure up these this miraculous thing, uh, the miraculous victory, because he hadn't experienced anything like that in his lifetime necessarily because the judges and leaders are... Are there's there's one that gets raised up and then that one dies and then another one comes and so in his lifetime he probably didn't see any miracles or any just wonderful right. crazy workings of God but he definitely knew the history and he knew that they had happened and so he probably struggled with that a little bit and that might have driven him to to be so desperate to see something to to see the victory because because he was maybe doubting or questioning if it would happen, and he, he uh, sort of demanded something of God and tried to... I, I think we do that and struggle with that a lot, too. Yeah, um, yeah so... Yeah, that, you mentioned you mentioned the miracles, and you know, that reminds me of uh, your sermon last... It was last Sunday, where about miracles... Well, when this comes out, uh, it's going to be like a month ago. Okay, well... <laughs> well, okay, so... A, a past sermon that you 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 know where you're talking about miracles yeah. and where are all the miracles yeah. and and that um, you know well, well why does God use miracles and well he, he uses them to point to Christ and he's not gonna right. and there's no need you know he's got everything else covered doesn't really need to do a miracle just because I, I want him to you know right um, yeah and and yeah oh yeah go ahead so I, I mean yeah so. So is 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 you know him fixing something supernaturally for me really going to point to Christ? Probably not. If it if it's necessary, <laughs> if it's necessary, it'll happen. Right. But um, I I thought that was right. a, a really uh, a really neat point that you made. So. Yeah, and I, I I like that you say you know if it's necessary it'll happen. There's another phrase I I heard um, where it's like you know sometimes somebody says oh I had a vision or I had a dream. Yeah. Well. If you if your vision or your dream or your inclination or impulse of what you think God's will for your life is, if it lines up with script, scripture, right. well, first of all, if it doesn't line up with God's word, then it, it's not it's not real, it's not true. Uh, don't follow that. Right. And if it does line up with with God's word, then you actually don't need it. Uh, you didn't need it in the first place. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, but I but yeah, <laughs> I know this sounds so harsh. But I but I really think that you know us talking about the, this these miracles and, and the point that you were you were talking about. You know, if it's necessary, it'll happen. And and that's the thing is, you know, God is uh, like we said at the beginning. You know, we can. I think these people just like us are getting caught up in all the surface level details, all the stuff that we see in our world. You know, we see the brokenness and we say, Oh, where is God? Or, you know, we see, um, how, how Christianity is really struggling in America and, and 
people can make arguments one way or the other that we are in a post-Christian society or we're not, um, whatever you want to think. But there's clearly, uh, Christianity is clearly declining in certain parts of the world, and the church is definitely struggling. Uh, The local church in America is really struggling with uh, attendance. It's it's just dwindling in the number of individuals that um, really want to be consistent members of a local Christian community or a local congregation. Mm -hmm. And so there's a a real struggle there. And we can kind of get caught up in that and think, well, well, that must mean that God's not with us or, or that must mean that like, you know, we're being punished for these things. Well, no, um, no matter what happens, God wants your heart. And, and one of the best ways to just continue forward the, the way that you can always be sure that you're engaging uh, in the will of God is, is to just um, ask God, how can I be faithful in my particular context where I'm at? Right. Because we can get really caught up in, in, in the wide world uh, around us or, or the things that are happening. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about those things, but just like the judges and the leaders and the Israelites um you know, we, we, we get caught up in it and then maybe we get comfortable for a while and maybe being comfortable and not experiencing any suffering in this world, in this uh, broken world, maybe isn't always the best for us because ultimately God cares about our hearts because in the end, he's going to make all things new again. And yeah, even as I'm talking about this, I realized how... Um, how hard and difficult that is for us to really grasp and really um, apply into our lives. Mm -hmm. But I think this is the, you know, the early Christians or or like the early church, they believed that Jesus was coming back any moment. They lived like it too. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, that's what God he, he wants us to hang on to hope and hang on to that promise, but not necessarily be surprised, I think, uh, when we suffer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, there, I like, you know, th- there is hope. There is hope in Jesus. And um, sometimes the hard truth of the matter is that um, our ultimate hope in Jesus is something that uh, we wait for. Uh, but we we wait for actively by being faithful where we're at. So yeah. that sounds a lot like application. Uh, so let's take a quick break, and then we'll talk about that a little bit more before we finish. Sounds good. Welcome back from our break. Uh, there's so much packed into these chapters today, and it's been really interesting. Um, so, Fred, did you dig deeper into uh, any part of this? And uh, if so, what did you find out? Um, well, one thing that uh, I did have to look up a little bit, um, uh, and I didn't go real deep, but, uh, you know, reading through the, the Old Testament, you read, and the New Testament, I think, references it too, but you read about Baal, God Baal, and uh, Asherah Pole. So I just, 
I read a little bit about that. Um, it, it seems like, uh, I guess, Asherah was a Canaanite fertility goddess, and Baal was actually one of her progeny. And then the, the poles, well, like Gideon is, is told to uh, to tear down the, uh, the altar to Baal that his father, interestingly enough, had built and cut down the Asherah pole. So I just read a little bit, bit about that. And so and, and it seems like the Asherah poles, there are some people who think maybe they were living trees, had something to do with the, okay. the fertility. Um, but uh, anyway, that's what I found out. Yeah. And I'm seeing here in uh, my study Bible, uh, study Bibles are good, by the way, Yeah. Um, as we said earlier. There's a, a note about Molech, who was a Phoenician god of human sacrifice. Right. And at times, uh, Molech's idol welcomed children into his, uh, it says, into his searing arms. So, like, you know, he was a god of human sacrifice, uh, sometimes particularly particularly uh, child sacrifice, and that was a big thing that God uh, was did not want his people to get uh, influenced by uh, and is talked about a lot in Deuteronomy as they're about to enter the promised land because he doesn't want that to be a thing for them. Right. And then Dagon was the Philistines' national god, mm-hmm. uh, had numerous temples throughout Canaan, right. and Samson was brought to Dagon's temple in Gaza. Mm-hmm. Um and a big celebration to this God, mm-hmm. and that uh, that's when Samson dis- destroyed Dagon's uh, temple, and 3,000 uh, uh, 3, Dagon worshipers died. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the story of Samson, that's uh, who they're talking about. So there's kind of four uh, main gods or uh false gods or idols mm-hmm. that show up in, in this land. And, right. and so if you're wondering who Baal is, who Asherah or Asherah pole, it's just something dedicated to that God. Yeah. So yeah. And, and, very yeah, good. and like you said, there was, I mean, there were some pretty, pretty, uh, uh warped, um, uh, religious practices for surrounding those. Right. So, yeah. and, and, and almost, you think the Israelites were bad. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. well, you know, I mean, there, 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 there are some, you know, there are probably some parallels to some of those uh, practices and and you know culture yeah. today, unfortunately. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, cool. So that's a helpful uh, thing to know uh, when reading uh, through this uh, area of the Bible. Uh, so, how do you see this section overall having importance to our lives today? Well, for, for me, I mean, it made me think about, you know, as, as, you know, you read about the Israelites, um, falling into, you know, worshiping other, other gods because they, they, the, the people they, um, you know, they associated with, um, um, those religions, you know, it just makes me think, well, is, is there anything, anything in my life that I put my trust in more than the Lord? Hmm. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and, and in, in subtle ways because it's all around you. And so, you know, it just makes me think about that and want to be cognizant of that. And, and, you know, do, do I put my trust in uh, money or, or, you know, my, my retirement plan or my house or my job yeah. or, you know, what, what is it that I build up, you know, is, is important. Um, so that was just kind of a takeaway for me. And then the, uh, 
you know, to apply. And then just, just the, um, the faithfulness of, of the Lord and that he's a God of second chances kept, kept, um, coming back to me as, as a hope and, and, and in Jesus. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I like that. And, uh, I think it's bold that you mention your retirement plan because, uh, I think, um, I mean, yeah, you laugh a little bit, but at the same time, I think, uh, I don't know, you know, in, in America and American culture, it's all about, you know, uh, the American, you know, the American dream or working hard and, and, uh, saving up for these things and, or, or whatever it is. And, uh, we got to be careful with that uh, because we can kind of trust in those things. Yeah. Uh, we, we can be very tempted to uh, ha- have our security or, or, or feel like the world's ending when uh, one of those, those things that we're working so hard to build up doesn't work out. Right. I mean, for me, it's, it's a house. Uh, right. Yeah. I'll be honest, you know, like I, especially when uh, I was moving here to uh, the Bernie area, I wanted a house. Yeah. Uh, the housing market's a little brutal over here. And yeah. Houses are quite expensive. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, you know, some of my seminary buddies were able to buy houses, maybe because they were in different positions in life, sure. Yeah. But at the same time, they were just in areas that you got more house for your buck. Right. And, um, and, and so sometimes uh, social media, I think, can uh, has, has really... Um, and, and and just so everyone knows, like I, I think it's important to keep in mind that uh, things like social media or uh, like money or gifts that we have, just just you know objects or whatever that we we have in life, mm-hmm. they're not in and of themselves bad things, yeah. uh, but they can be bad things. So it's not money that's evil, but it's the love of money or it's the love of a house or right. it's the usage of social media in a, in an unhelpful way. Yeah. And I do think that, uh, we get so used to our, our, our freedom, our, our, uh, our comfortable life. And it's easy for me to speak about it here, but like, you know, um, even with the, like the pandemic and, and, and being so restricted by things and, uh, feeling like, you know, we're, we're limited in what we're uh, being told we're allowed to do and that kind of thing. Um, I think that sometimes our reaction is, is to say, well, what, you know, why can you, how can you impose that on me or, or whatever? Yeah. Uh, I think we get used to that comfortable lifestyle and that can, uh, that can be a, a, a position uh, uh, that can that can cause us to be very tempted, and um, there is a reason why God wanted uh, his, to protect His people from these um, these other nations because they were living in a land that was very comfortable to live in. It was a it was a great land. It had lots of good resources. And they were living comfortable lifestyles. And when you have a lot of things around you, it, it can be easy to think that you don't need God anymore. Or we can cry out to God only when we're really desperate and only when we need him. Which, Fred, comes back to a conversation that you and I had a long time ago about moralistic therapeutic deism. Yeah, right. Um, and I am, I, anyways, 
anyone listening can look that up, but <laughs> I, I do think that that <laughs> that's a, a big tenant of that is um, that uh, you know we reach out. God wants us to be happy. That's kind of a big yeah. tenant of that, which is not necessarily true. God wants what's best for us, which isn't always going to make us happy because we're sinful people. Right. Um, but the the other thing is that God helps us only when we really need him. He only intervenes when, when things get really bad. Yeah. And um, that kind of, that's the cycle that the Israelites were in and in judges, like they only reached out to God when, when they were just at rock bottom yeah. and we don't necessarily need hurricanes or, um, you know, s- civil conflict or mm-hmm. uh, terrible situation. Why, we don't need to, uh, ha- God will certainly work through those to accomplish his will and transform us. But there's no reason why we need those things to cause us to, to follow God faithfully. And he gives us his word so that we don't have to rely on those rock bottom moments, but that in the midst of all the the things going on, we can uh, cling to God and can daily assess ourselves and examine ourselves like, what am I idolizing? What am I looking to uh, for comfort or or, uh, assurance more than I more than God himself? So. Uh, wow, um, <laughs> I have a lot to say today. Yeah, uh, but yeah, <laughs> now, and, and, yeah. And, and if 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 I was really, you know, trusting in God, what would I, what would I do differently? You know, that's what I try to think about. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that is a lot for our listeners to <laughs> to take in and digest. Hopefully, uh, it's been helpful. Yeah. Um, so. As we end our time to today, let's stop talking about moralistic therapeutic deism, and instead, let's talk about uh, music. So, Fred, you are uh, a musician. I hear that you were, you know, on the punk scene in Austin or something like that back in when it was when it was uh, really cool, um, or even before it was cool, is what I heard. Um, so, you were like a pioneer, is that right? I think you got the wrong guy, Alex. I'm just kidding. I don't know. I, <laughs> you're being too humble. You're being too humble, uh, like Gideon. But anyways, um, all right, so my question is this. Okay. It has to do with music. So if you could only listen to one song oh, for God. the rest of your life, <laughs> <laughs> if you could only listen to one song for the rest of your life, and this is on, the only song that you can play or sing or even know what song would that be you know um i don't i don't know if i would pick a specific song but it would be um any song that uh that uh, all my kids were playing on okay um cool because i mean to, to me that's the greatest blessing of um you know of any of for me, anyways, music is when I hear my kids play and hear them play together, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's just it's just all I guess, you know. So, yeah, definitely, um, an undeserved gift. I'm a big, oh yeah, definitely, and uh, I think that's really sweet, and at least it's a lot better than the story of Jephthah. <laughs> um, 
All right. I'm going to go. I'm a big Ren Collective fan. I'm always uh, pushing my Ren Collective agenda. Actually, okay. I'm always having to try to put the put the brakes on that because it's like, oh, I love Ren Collect. I, I say, oh, am I trying to get this Ren Collective song here in uh, this worship service here or, uh, because I love Ren Collective so much or because I actually think it would be helpful? Um, <laughs> but I would maybe go with the... Uh, some I don't know which song I would I would pick I'd have to think uh-huh. about it but maybe uh any any uh, a few of my favorite songs by uh Rend Collective okay. they're a Christian band yeah. and just really like their style and yeah. um and they have I think they have uh good good lyrics as well yeah. so there you go yeah awesome alrighty well um. If you are a listener and you want to ask some questions or send us some comments or thoughts, you can email us at growupandtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Fred, it's been a pleasure. Uh, Thanks for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone, and we will see you next time. Peace.